welcome to the AEW Match Guide podcast, where we deep dive into the best matches in AEW history. Brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network and your host, Sam Brown. Hello and welcome to the AEW Match Guide podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brown. Thank you for joining me. Every week, alongside a special guest, I take an in-depth look at one of the best matches in AEW history, taken from the definitive AEW Match Guide lists as voted by wrestling commentators from around the internet wrestling community. If you enjoy the show today, you can subscribe and rate it on your podcast app of choice, support the podcast financially on Red Circle, and make sure you check out all of the other great shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network, such as One Nation Radio, Keeping It Strong Style, All Things Elite, and the Grave Consequences Podcast that cover all aspects of the world of pro wrestling. My guest for today is a man that CM Punk once said is his burner on Twitter, the one and only Backup Hangman, and we're looking at CM Punk versus Darby Allen from All Out 2021. How are you going today, Hanger? Sam, I'm doing uh, as good as I possibly can be. Um, it's uh, it's it's pretty cool that we're finally able to do this. Uh, we've been kind of wanting to get together to talk about this uh, this match for a while, and you know, as many many who do know me on Twitter know, I am. Uh, a really big fan of CM Punk. You know, he's he's probably my favorite wrestler of all time. So um, to be able to kind of go here on a podcast like this and just kind of break this down is uh, is pretty exciting. So I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having yes. me. Yeah. And look, it's serendipitous that this is happening when it is happening. Um, yep. We're not normally a current events podcast here. It is a podcast mm-hmm. that likes to keep things at a historic arm's length. Um, yes. Because I feel like that way you can get the best historic picture um and we've been trying to do this for a number of a, a month or so at least trying to schedule much, it a time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a time to record this uh and because we haven't been able to get together until just now uh it just so happens that we are now recording <laughs> a week after all out 2022 which for those who are listening i'm sure know ha- was a very big weekend for cm punk <laughs> Um, and it's yep. been a very big weekend for people who follow his career and have uh, enjoyed watching him wrestle. Uh, yeah, it's it's been a week that's felt like a year. I think it's it's uh, it's insane irony. We're going to talk about Punk's first match at All Out, and we're talking about it after what could have potentially been his last AEW match, which was at the following year's All Out. So uh, yeah, it's it's insane. It's obvious. I mean, I'm sure most would agree, regardless of what you really feel about the events and who's to blame and all that. I think most could agree that just in general, it's, it's a, it's a damn shame that um, we could be looking at a reality that is AEW without all the men that were involved in the altercation, because I think the promotion is stronger with all of them involved. And so it's a shame that we could be looking at a situation where that may no longer be the case. You know, we're here today to talk about Sam Punk versus Darby Allen. Uh, Absolutely. And, of, and of course, Sam Punk's, legacy in the business leading up mm. to this moment and yes. potentially what his legacy is going to have been in AEW. We're not here right. today, though, to to talk about this incident in depth. God yes. knows there's been a couple of podcasts that have talked about it. You know, I'm sure you could find one if you look hard enough. Um, yeah, but but so. we... We will touch on we will touch on his legacy in the promotion sure. towards the end of the podcast. But look, let's get to some happier times, hangers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's the, get the, to some happier times. Um, my you know. first question, the question I ask everyone who uh, comes on this podcast, is how did you get into AEW? Uh, that's an interesting question. Yeah, um, you know, just just for context, I'm, I'm a long time wrestling fan. I've been watching wrestling now for 
uh, over 20 years, actually, uh, in regards to AEW. You know, you always hear people talk about, you know, they were lapsed fans and they got back in and this and that. Uh, for me, it, it's, a, it's a bit different. I, I was actively watching wrestling when AEW was announced. And uh, I, I just remember that when All, All In was announced, right? Um, I don't know if you remember this. There were a lot of rumors circulating of Brian Danielson and CM Punk, ironically, wrestling at that show. Because uh, at the time of the announcement, Brian Danielson was not cleared by WWE. And the word was basically that if he didn't get cleared, he would go join with Nick and Matt and, and, and work their show. Mm. And, 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 and people were also like, oh, my God, well, you know, it's, it's another promotion. I mean, it's a, it's a group of guys making a big wrestling show, trying to make a big splash in Chicago. What if this is the show CM Punk shows up in? And um, I bought into that hype. I was really excited. And I remember once that was no longer the case, and obviously Danielson wasn't going to do the show because he unretired and you know Punk wasn't going to do it. Uh, I remember at the time just kind of being like, all right, well, I'm not, ex- I'm not as excited about this. Right. And uh, at the time of all in, I wasn't, I didn't really appreciate it the way uh, other people did. You know, it was a really highly rated show, a well-received event, but I, for me, I, I don't know what it was. It just didn't do much for me at the time, you know, later on, like, you know, once you look at it with the better historical context, you know, you see the magnitude of the event and how important it was to the business. Right. Hmm. Um, but at the time, I was just kind of like, yeah, it was a cool little show, with, you know, some indie guys in the elite and, and, you know, you know, Penta was there and it, it was a cool thing. Right. And then when AEW was announced as a promotion, like it, I, it was surreal. Cause I was like, no, no way. Are they really going to try to do this? I was extremely skeptical actually uh, of the elite's ability to run a wrestling promotion. And, and that's not even a, 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 a shot at their abilities because I think Kenny Omega is one of the greatest wrestlers I've ever, I've ever seen, you know? Um, but I just, I was really skeptical and uh, if you remember, Kenny was a late addition. Like, I think the first names to mm-hmm. attach themselves to AEW immediately were uh, the Bucks and Cody and I think Hangman. Um, but Kenny, Kenny, I think, officially linked in in late January of 2019. Yep, that's and great. then I was like, yeah, there you go. Yeah, and and, and I, I, at the time, I was like, you know what? Okay, so this might, we might have something here. And, and I remember my next thing was, uh, I remember checking the site to look at the roster, right? You know, I was like, okay, they got the Bucks, they have Kenny, they have Cody Rhodes, they have Hangman, they have Jericho. That's a nice start. That's a nice start. Uh, but but I, I kind of felt at the time that the roster was a little bit shallow uh, when it comes to really high, high-end wrestling talent. And so, again, I, I was pretty skeptical of AEW. Mm. And uh, and then Double or Nothing happened. And and quite frankly, actually, I didn't watch it live. This is I don't know if I've ever told this story on Twitter. I didn't watch the show live. Because I was watching, the, there was an NBA Finals game going on that day. So, I, you know, I watched that. And uh, I remember on Twitter, John Moxley started trending. And, and I was like, no way. No, no way. And I saw the clip giving uh, giving Jericho the paradigm shift. And I think for me as a viewer, um, that was when this became real. You know what I mean? Mm. It, it was almost like legitimizing the product and like, no, 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 take this seriously type of thing. Right. Mm. And so the, the very next day I, I watched Double or Nothing in full. I thought the show was amazing. And then I was like, no, no, actually, you know what? No, nah, this is this is for real. And, mm. and then I thought I thought all out 2019, which is historically now a bit of an underrated show. It doesn't get talked about a lot. Uh, I thought that show was even better. And so after that, I was ready to go. And I was a day one viewer of AW, you know, mm. so uh, I, I, I never missed the dynamite. You know, I've uh, 
I'm not a, I'm not able to cast them live anymore because of my work schedule. But yeah, I, I was a day one viewer, and 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 once once they put the show together that they put uh, on a double or nothing, I was pretty much on board with what they were doing. Yep, yep. It's funny you mentioned the punk rumors that circled around yeah. Berlin. Double or Nothing, All Out. I was at the time writing for a website that was at the time called Lords of Pain. It's now called Wrestling Headlines, um, which is a, a a website that's kind of faded into obscurity a bit over the years. But, you mm-hmm. know, back in the noughties was like this really big deal. Uh, right. And I had a few people who they weren't direct contacts, but they knew people who would have known some of the stuff that was going on. And I had at least two or three people for both All In double or nothing and all out who are trying to sell me that Sam Punk was going to be involved. And I was like, Look, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to publish this or anything like that. I'll believe it when I see it, but thanks for yeah. letting me know. Yeah. <laughs> Try to convince me of it. And, you know, well, as we'll get into, yeah. the, the shoe really does fit. And mm-hmm. so I understand why some people were trying to join those dots uh, at the time. Um, but yeah, of course, yeah, those those early shows were just so exciting, um, and and mm. just had a wave of moment. It was a wave of like good feeling behind mm. AEW when it first started. I think there was Absolutely. there were some people who you know I guess didn't want to believe in it, uh, mm. and and that was fair enough. Like, sure, the wrestling business has certainly seen some charlatans come and go, but yeah, it was it, it had momentum from day one uh, and and good feelings from day one. I was a you know a fan of the elite, so I've, I was I was mm. all in from all in. Uh, mm. And when they announced a promotion, I was just super excited about it. Uh, but certainly that John Moxley appearance that felt like it, it felt like a like they were stamping the ground a little bit, and and yeah. the difference that was immediately evident when he showed up as well in his demeanor and in the way he was carrying himself, it it felt like you know this is this place is going to be different. Uh, and yeah. it's, it's going to take some of the things that we know and that we think we we know and we think we've already contextualized historically and it's going to change it. Um, and yeah, that's been the case for AEW going forward. Uh, and we're going to, I guess, see that when we look into punk. So let's let's start to talk about this. So let's talk about the build to this match. Uh, as yeah. we always do here on the AEW match guide, I'll give the match its flowers. We are talking about Darby Allen versus CM Punk from All Out 2021. Uh, Dave Meltzer rated at 3.75 stars. Cage Match currently has it rated 7.91. And in the second volume of the Definitive Match Guide, uh, it came in 17th. So a match that is well regarded um, as a, a match itself, um, but something that I think is no doubt a legendary moment for AEW and almost a coming of age moment for the company uh, because it was the return of CM Punk to wrestling. Um, He left wrestling in 2014, walking out on the WWE after Royal Rumble, after the Royal Rumble in 2014, seemingly never to return. He had very limited interactions with wrestling at all uh he of course famously went to the ufc fought in mma and he eventually made his return to wrestling wrestling uh uh, not not as a wrestler but as a commentator on wrestling in wwe backstage (laughs) yeah um, which feels very strange now but it's something like a fever dream it's a weird yeah yeah it's it's something interlude in this process absolutely yeah but it's something that happened and uh, but i wanted to start things out um looking before he made his AEW debut 
you know, if we're talking to you in say 2020, um, before any of this happens, what does CM Punk mean to you at that point, Hanger? Uh, the way I viewed CM Punk was uh, he's someone who, in my mind, is a legendary figure in the business and very important. And uh, like I said, one of my one of my all time favorites, if not my favorite. But at the same time, um, my mindset was kind of like we're officially in the territory where you need to just give up on any hopes of him coming back. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I think for so long it was like people would almost circuit circle these target dates in Chicago. Like, oh, man, what if he came back here? What if he came back there? And at some point it became very evident that, okay, well, WWE is just not going to be the place where he comes back to. Mm. Um, But then he joins backstage and it was like, wait, what? He's willing to associate with this brand again. And so that kind of, um, if if nothing else, because like you said, he disassociated from the medium of wrestling for a long time. Mm. And it seemed like he didn't even, he didn't want anything to do with it. And and so around that period, it was like, all right, well, this is, this is a pipe dream. Um, And then he reassociated with wrestling through WWE backstage and it was like, okay, are they, is Fox trying to get the wheels in motion to get this guy to wrestle again? And to a degree, it felt like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you would read these reports that this is separate from WWE. This is a Fox thing. It's not a WWE thing. And to me, that I put the I put two and two together and figured like, okay, WWE doesn't want anything to do with Punk, and Punk probably is just independent of what they're doing, and they're just you know Fox is the one who's really pushing this. But clearly, you know, I. I it almost felt like there was still bad blood on both sides to where mm. um, he's still in his, in his Island, so to speak. And so that's when I kind of thought, okay, well, what if, what if he is thinking about wrestling again, but it's just, he needs a place to do it. And what other place would there be than AEW? Mm. You know, um, the thing is we had, we were in a global pandemic. And so, that obviously prolonged it. And, and, you know, when you hear the explanation from Punk and Tony, it, it actually lines up with, with, with what was happening because it's like, it seemed like late 2019 going into 2020 that Punk was thinking about just the business overall again. But the pandemic kind of prolonged things. And so, you know, in 2020, when we were in the pandemic, my, my feeling was just kind of like, you know, I, I kind of put it out of my mind about CM Punk because, again, the idea of clinging to, to Punk returning to wrestling um, it was something that I, I honestly delusionally did for a long time. Mm. Uh, and like, you know, like we said earlier, like, you know, all in, all out, double or nothing, you know, in the first year, like, is it going to be one of these shows? And once it wasn't, it was like, all right, well, you know what? I, maybe it is just time to let it go. He's over 40 years old at this point. Maybe he's just done. Um, so that was my feeling at the time. Yeah. And it's it's fair. And as I said, like, it's it's very understandable for people that people were sort of linking him to. AEW, um, because yes. of course his most famous work in the business, the most famous thing he's ever done, uh, is of course the pipe bomb. Um, you know where he sits down on the where he sits down on the ramp in WWE, uh, and seemingly goes off on an improvised rant uh, about how the WWE wasn't doing what he thought it wasn't what it sh- he thought it should be. Uh, and what he thought a lot of fans wanted it to be. And he was right. He was absolutely right. And he spoke words that would change the industry, really, uh, I feel like. He he created, ushered in kind of the reality era of wrestling um, where it really became a, a thing of the, the politics and the issues that were happening in backstage 
were really driven to the forefront in WWE uh, in a way they hadn't been previously. It's not that that stuff hadn't been used before, but certainly in a way that it hadn't been previously. Uh, and the the things that he was talking about were the sorts of issues that would ultimately lead to there being a company called AEW. Um, and back when I was doing a, a series back in uh, on wrestling headlines called the stories that defined a decade, I actually wrote about the pipe bomb uh, on wrestling headlines. And, and I wrote even eight years later, the after effects of that now distant explosion are still being felt on January 1, 2019, Cody Rhodes, the young bucks and Adam page announced all elite wrestling, a new wrestling promotion backed by the billionaire Khan family. There has been a lot of water under the bridge since 2011, but without Sam Punk, Sam Punk being the first of his generation to break through the glass ceiling, without his ascent to superstardom, and without him clearing a path for others to follow through, it's very possible the elite would never have found a billionaire who would have bet that they could do it too. And that's how I feel about Sam Punk for and AEW I feel like his actions with the pipe bomb and how that sur- that fan that surge of fan uh, support that he received then that pushed him through um to to become a main event star in WWE when he really wasn't meant to be one um mm-hmm. that is the same fan surge that led to all out to to all in happening that led to the announcement of AEW and that ultimately led to the creation of the company that we're talking about today. Yeah, it's 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 so interesting. You know, it's been alluded to sometimes. I think Puck might have said something in a promo, and uh, I'm, I'm very much of this thinking that, um, you know, obviously, you know, not to discredit, the look, AEW was created by, you know, well, Tony in the Khan. title, <laughs> Elite. Well, yeah, there you go. The Elite and their vision and what they were able to do for wrestling and, you know, the do-it-yourself mentality and they they found they found financial backing through Tony Khan and they put it together, right? And, and and nothing taken away from them. But but I almost feel like the movement to to attract the type of fans that enjoy what AEW was about. I felt like that movement in the modern age of wrestling absolutely was cultivated through the pipe bomb. Yeah. Because you know when you contextualize it, it's it's almost like the pipe bomb was the segue uh, um, for hardcore wrestling fans to get their voices heard by the mainstream uh, wrestling uh, promotion, which is WWE. And, you know, at the time it's like WWE was the only major game in town, you know, no disrespect to impact wrestling or, you know, ring of honor. Um, But when it comes to platform and reach at that time, especially um, it was pretty much WWE or irrelevancy in the United States, frankly. Mm. Um, And so because of that, you know, punk kind of, said what a lot of hardcore fans were and, and laps fans just kind of felt about the product overall. I mean, there was, there was unrest and frustration surrounding WWE and John Cena and his, and his, you know, continued reign at the top of the promotion for years. You know, I, I remember mm. being a forum kid and people were like over John Cena, you know, since like 2006, you know, so now we're in 2011. It's a homogenized PG product. A lot of the veterans who were in the promotion for a long time were beginning to get phased out, if not already gone. Um, and then you have this man, CM Punk, a guy from Ring of Honor. Uh, and he kind of voices all these things that like you were not expected to be. You just didn't expect these topics to be uh, broached on television. And, and and it really galvanized a group of wrestling fans that just kind of like, like you know, felt voiceless as as mm. 
as as the nickname said, the voice of the voiceless. And 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 coming from that was a movement which allowed people to kind of hijack shows and tell the company, no, no, we don't want this person. We want Brian mm. Danielson to get pushed. We want this guy to get pushed. We want that guy to get pushed. We mm. want good workers. We don't want this and that. We don't care about bodies, for example. We don't care about this and that. You know, we want we want great wrestling. And uh, you know, and and that's how you that's what allowed for people who were Ring of Honor mainstays in the 2000s to get an opportunity in WWE. Mm. You know, Claudio Castagnoli um, probably doesn't get a, you know, a position in WWE, if not for the pipe bomb, um, just purely off the fact that um, they were in a certain direction and lane, the promotion that is. And, uh, and, and it almost seemed like the success of Punk made them go, okay, mm. well, you know, people, people from this background can work, you know, because WWE was very anti-indie wrestler for a long time. Mm. Um, and so now, yeah, just flat out, you know, it, it was like, okay, a segue for now, all these guys to come in, Claudio, you know, Brian Danielson get, gets pushed and, and numerous others before we even get into the NXT era of things. And um, again, when it comes to just the movement, it's just like, I think even if you weren't um, a hardcore fan who was following the independence, I think just the fact that Punk was the way he was and he was so different um, mm-hmm. from the, the normal, the normally pushed person in WWE. I think it almost enticed many people to say, let me look into his background and maybe look into other people from his background. You know, I think, I think I would argue that he got more people into um, looking at like, cause he mentioned ring of honor, new Japan pro wrestling on WWE television. Mm-hmm. And those, those neither promotion was ever mentioned on raw ever. So I, I think if nothing else, it, it, it was a, it was a massive gateway. And so now we follow the timeline. Right. And it's like, you have this this new um, elements of the at these shows and these these different types of fans at the shows, you know. And then you 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 get NXT and you get the people and and it's like now the door is wide open. Now we're throwing all of the top people from Ring of Honor and TNA into this company. And Tyler um, Black, John Moxley, <laughs> Tyler Black, John Moxley. Look at that, Sami Zayn, Kevin Steen. Uh, the list goes on and on. We have mm-hmm. wrestlers from Japan like like Shinsuke Nakamura. You know, like Kana, Asuka, uh, and and it's like, Adrian like said, Neville, <laughs> Adrian Neville. And you know, it's funny, Sam. So I, I stopped watching wrestling for a little bit uh, at some point in the like uh, mid 2010s, roughly. I want to say maybe like 2014 to, to early 2016. I wasn't really watching mm. too much. And I remember, you know, what struck me the most when I came back, I came back and I'm looking at WWE and I was like, wow, this like company is just full of like. A bunch of wrestlers that like when I was last watching, I just would have never expected them to hire, you know, mm. and I remember being like, oh, my God, is that Kevin Steen? Is, is that is that is that that guy it, like blew my mind? And I remember just thinking like this is like what the pipe bomb was all about, really. Mm. And, and this is this is what Punk was like talking about. And so at the time, my feeling was like, you know, unfortunately, even though he can't reap the benefits of it, it felt it felt like at the time that he changed the business for the better. Mm. And, and by extension now. More people are, are paying attention to New Japan Pro Wrestling, and that's what allows people to kind of, you know, be aware of Kenny Omega. And, and, and then to me, when I think of like the creation of AEW, I think that there's a couple pivotal dates. There's the pipe bomb in my mind and, and the movement it created. Yeah. I think Okada and Omega is, is, is yeah. seminal in, in that it's, it's, it's a generational, um, important, genre-defining, media-defining, medium-defining era creating match in that it was so great that whether you were aware of new Japan pro wrestling or you have never even heard of new Japan pro wrestling, if you were a fan of this wrestling medium in any way, you were going to hear about this match and, and check it out. And when Dave gave it the six stars, everybody had to see what happened here. 
and 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 the wrestling world as a whole found out who Kenny Omega was that they didn't know. And and so that you know helped the elite movement and being the elite and all that stuff. And so that led to the official genesis of AEW. And so when I again when I contextualize this whole thing, it's just funny because it's it's almost like there are so many precursors and there's so many important moments that just predate uh the promotion's creation and and you can absolutely credit some of this in some way spiritually if if nothing else to cm punk yeah i certainly agree with all of those things particularly those sort of pivotal moments that you mentioned uh and i would add in there that i think um this isn't specifically a date although maybe you could say maybe wrestlemania um 32 33 in, in 20, 2016, 2017, 2018, I feel like they form part of it because people saw CM Punk, sorry, <clears throat> people saw CM Punk come to popularity. They saw Daniel Bryan come to popularity, and I think they expected more of that, but it didn't mm-hmm. necessarily happen that way. Um, WWE sort of changed course in the, even though they were heading that way, and they certainly, the mid card um, became more fleshed out. And even, you know, the upper card became more fleshed out at different points of the year with different kinds of talent, like the, you know, the John Moxley's, the Kevin Steen's who, you know, were all adopted into WWE and branded in WWE. They weren't necessarily put at the very tippy top where I think people wanted to see them. Uh, And that caused, uh, I guess, a, a backlash amongst fans um, that would then lead to people feeling disillusioned, particularly in 2018. I really felt like um, that, that hit a fever pitch, um, which of of course was the year that all in happened. Uh, So I want to hit, I want to hit fast forward because we could, we could go into this, um, you know, and and keep analyzing this in, in massive depth. Um, But safe to say, I think from everyone's perspective, CM Punk without being part of the start of AEW is a pivotal man in the story of AEW and, and the yes. fan support, the fan, um, the fan community that grew up um, and, and followed the elite had a Sam Punk had a big, a big role to play in, in at least initially forming that, which is why, you know, it made sense when people, <laughs> you know, hitting people up with rumors saying, you know, Sam Punk, this is going to work. The, the shoe fit for CM Punk. And it became more evident that this was something that would potentially happen in 2021. Um, you know, AEW's gone through the pandemic, triumphantly returned to crowds in double or nothing, at Double or Nothing 2021, and rumours start circulating around um, stronger than ever before. And on TV, wrestlers start dropping hints left and right. Kenny Omega wears a Cookie Monster T-shirt. MJF invokes verbiage from the, the pipe bomb. They're just two of the things that I, can, I could think of going back at the time. Uh, and mm-hmm. Tony Khan books a show at the United Centre in Chicago called The First Dance. And without ever mentioning his name, CM Punk is all but confirmed that he is going to be part of AEW. Hanger, how do you feel that AEW f- dealt with the build-up to his return? Oh, man, I'm just, I'm getting goosebumps just remembering it because I thought it was just such a fun period, Sam. I thought, mm. like, in my opinion, I think the, the hottest that AEW as a promotion has ever been was that just that fever pitch period before the first dance and in that month and a half following it roughly 
it, it just it just felt everything came together so perfectly and joyously in my opinion because AEW went back to touring you know because we were we were stuck in dailies for so long and we went back to touring and you had these these hot shows that were just so so exciting and so happy because it, it was like man we're getting this product again in front of in front of people and you know within weeks it's like word came out about punk and and you know like you said there were a bunch of little winks and nods Darby Allen, you know, he cut a promo where he literally said, even if you're the best in the world and the fans gasped, mm. um, everybody knew what was happening. Everyone knew when it was going to happen with the first dance scheduled. And it was just exciting. It felt like the promotion in general, everything was coming together really perfectly. They were hitting on all cylinders. And it was almost like you were watching these shows going, man, we had this amazing episode and punk is coming. Mm. You know, wow, they're doing this and CM Punk is coming. And so um, it was a perfect storm. When you ask me how, how did they handle it, they handled it great. I I think it's it, it was nice that they let you know enough to to sell the venue out. Like they were telling you, hey, like because you know when it comes to marketing and surprises in wrestling, sometimes people argue, you know, you want to keep the magic of of a surprise pop. There's nothing like a surprise pop, but it is also a business, and it's like you know sometimes you know you're gonna do better business if people know certain things, and somehow they hit this perfect middle note mm. where they let you know without letting you know. And, 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 you know, AEW wrestling fans and AEW fans, especially are not, they're not stupid. Um, you know, most people are aware of reports and news sites and things like that, but even beyond that on, on screen, they did tell you, you know, they, they just told you without really saying it out, you know, overtly. So again, um, I thought, I thought it was kind of masterful, frankly, mm. uh, the way they, the way they put it together. Yeah. Sold over 20,000 tickets in four minutes. Um, it was their oh, biggest goodness. show to date at the time. Yeah. As, as you said, an absolute master marketing masterclass. And, and you're right that around this time, there was such a swell uh, within such positivity within the community. It, it's when the, the wheels were set in motion for the creation of this podcast, you know, like I'd stop, I actually stopped writing um, at the start of that year. Um, I just felt burnt out. I, I was loving AEW, but I, I felt burnt out from a, a writing perspective. I'd been doing it every week for, for years at that point. Um, and I just felt like it wasn't worth it anymore. Uh, and, but the, the fun I was having talking about AEW and, and engaging with the promotion at this time was what led to this. And, you know, as I said, like adding in Sam Punk, I don't think I mentioned at the start, but like when I was watching WWE and first got into WWE in 2018, in 2008, Sam Punk was part of that. I, and I yeah. loved his heel turn in, in 2009. And I was just so excited um, that this guy could potentially be coming into the promotion and interacting with all of these people who have never been, they've in, never interacted with. And, you know, come August 20, Rampage, the first dance, it's the, like the second ever episode of Rampage. You're right. They they managed to hit this wild middle ground. And I don't know if it'll ever be repeated where, yeah, like everyone knew what was happening but <laughs> like they, it hadn't been confirmed yet. Like it, it, we didn't know, we still didn't know with a hundred percent. It was like they'd put one plus one on the screen equals and they just hadn't filled it out yet. Uh, exactly. It was the greatest potential, you know, are they going to like, what's going to happen? Is MJF going to come out to Sam Punk's music? What's going to happen? <laughs> and the crowd is in that building is just going absolutely mental, absolutely mental. Cold of personality hits outwalk Sam Punk to one of the biggest ovations I have ever seen in wrestling. Like it, it was like this man was Jesus returning. Um, <laughs> if he was, if he had, he kind of made himself a bit of a martyr 
back in 2014, and this was his returning. People literally crying. They're so swept up in the emotions of it all. It was beautiful. Um, He sits down in the ring. He tells people that over the years he heard them. He heard them chanting his name. We didn't mention that. The chant CM Punk became a rallying cry over the years for when people were pissed off at WWE. They would chant his name um, because he was the one that gave them a voice originally. And Mm -hmm. he, CM Punk, comes back. He says he heard them. Um, He says he left pro wrestling in 2006 when he left Ring of Honor, and now he's coming back. Um, He said he needed to take time to heal, but now he's back. Uh, He's ready to go again. Hang on, this is all. It doesn't matter what happens now. This is an yeah. all-time great moment in wrestling, not just in AEW, wrestling history. Wrestling, yes. um, it, it is an all-time ovation, an all-time moment. I'm, I'm just, it's funny, like because I, I didn't rewatch this promo before doing this uh, podcast, and, and yet I'm just thinking about it. I like, guess you're talking. I'm just like I, I literally closed my eyes, and I'm remembering where I was. I'm remembering the reaction. I'm remembering what he said about you know. You know, when I went out there, I, just, I needed to, I remember he said, like, I needed to feel it. And uh, it was visceral, man. Like, I mm. remember, like, you know, when you watch wrestling for so long, and, and I've watched, again, I've watched for 20 years, um, at some point, it, it's almost hard to move me uh, because y- you've seen everything and you've seen, you know, all kinds of different promos and angles. And so it's easy actually to get jaded. But I, I remember at that point just being like really, like it was electric, the, the, just the whole experience of him coming out. I remember being unable to focus on the remainder of that Rampage show. If you remember, uh, we followed up with a tag match and main event with, uh, I believe it was Garcia and Daniel Garcia and John Moxley. Mm. And I remember like, I just had a, it's a very unique experience watching that, that return promo. And it was like, I'm still digesting this. And, you know, it's impossible to actually focus on, any wrestling following it. Um, and I, and I remember, I remember just thinking that um, that promo was, was phenomenal. It was so fitting. It was so beautiful when he said how, you know, he was coming back to pro wrestling after, you know, how, you know, X amount of years since basically ring of honor. Uh, it was, it was just so defiant. It was so him. And like I said, it, it, it makes, it, it ties the entire story together. You know, it, it ties the whole, whole story together. And, and, and when he talked about how, like, he thought he hated pro wrestling and he realized, you know, he loved pro wrestling, just the way it all came together, the way, the way it was all put together, I thought was masterful. And, and uh, his, his return was amazing. You know, it was just, it was just fine on me. Like you said, one of the greatest moments in the history of the business. And it was the feel good hit of the summer. Like, yeah, <laughs> it was, absolutely. It's just absolutely. such, uh, you know, like everything, him, from him jumping into the crowd. And then, you know, at the end, he gives everyone ice cream bars. Like, it's just, uh, it, it was just such a positive, incredible moment. And crucially, in that promo, he challenges Darby Allen to a match at All Out, uh, a match that Allen accepts in the main event. We've spent a lot of time talking about Sam Punk here, but this match is actually between two people. Um, yes. <laughs> I, I've, I've spoken about Darby Allen on the podcast here before, but I, I wanted to quickly ask you, Hanger, um, what do you think of Allen himself? Uh, and yeah. what did you think of him being paired with Punk for Punk's return match? I think Darby Allen is actually one of the most underrated wrestlers in the business, to be honest with you. I, I think he has a very unique charisma. And uh, he's just, I mean, this has been said before, he's just really cool. 
you know, like his, his vibe, his, his, his look. Um, but purely even in between the ropes, I remember like when I first started watching him, I'm like, okay, he's going for the whole daredevil thing, but it's easy. It's very easy to mistake him as just a crash test dummy wrestler. Mm. And obviously he, he is a daredevil. He does have no regard for his body and he absolutely does test fate and, and go for insane stuff. Um, but even beyond that, he's actually a really, really good wrestler. He, he's very technically and fundamentally sound. And he has an incredible handle of his own skill set and his body mm-hmm. in the sense that he knows he knows um, what type of stories he can create with his unique size and mm-hmm. build. And so you get these matches often where like he's a straight up rag doll and he mm-hmm. bumps his ass off and flies all over the place getting destroyed. I remember the Brody King match he had with, on Dynamite a few mm-hmm. weeks ago where like it was it was exemplary of that because he's a rag doll and, and he's really great at garnering sympathy because of his size and because of the way he bumps. And, um, you know, if he's with someone of comparable size, he's just going to be a technician and he's going to be a daredevil. And with someone else, he's going to just be a rag doll. And, and, and it, it's, it's a perfect dynamic for a babyface wrestler. And, um, you know, he, he bumps in a way where like, he feels really fragile. It, it makes for great drama in most of his matches. I think his matches are, they're very consistent. You know, I don't mm-hmm. think I've frankly, and I'm not, I'm not saying he's the best wrestler in AEW, but I'm not sure if any other wrestler in AEW can say this, where I don't think he's ever had a bad match, at, at least none of his major matches. So I, I think Darby's actually really, really good. And uh, when, when the decision was made for Punk to face him, one of my thoughts was, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. It's not You're not burning away your biggest matches that you can do with Punk, but it's also a, a very interesting opponent and someone who, who is pushed. Um, I'm not a big fan of babyface versus babyface, but uh, in AEW, they get away with it far more than other promotions because their crowds more than, you know, other crowds just kind of appreciate really good wrestling. And they understood the, the moment and the gravity and the magnitude. And they, they were just happy to see CM Punk back against someone else who's very good. So for the situation, it worked totally fine. And, and I, I was I was totally fine with, with Punk taking on Darby. In some ways, you can make the argument that, you know, Punk being a, a punk rock guy, a straight edge guy, you know, marching to the beat of his own drum. You know, in some ways, Darby Allen has similarities to that. And, mm-hmm. and he's very much just kind of his own man and, and, and doing it his own way. Yeah, I agree completely with that. Uh, and I thought that you mentioned that this wasn't, you know, Punk versus... I don't know, Ryan Nemeth, for instance, <laughs> just to pull yeah. a name out of nowhere. Like yeah. this was this was punk versus someone that they had put a lot of effort into establishing as a star. Like earlier in the year, Darby Allen was a TNT champion, had a really great run and, and main evented a number of dynamites, um, doing really well, good numbers as well uh, as that TNT champion. And it felt like it was a reward for Darby Allen. But I love that on screen, it wasn't, something where he was you know flattered to be doing this for punk it was very he was still remained very authentic to his character uh in how his character had previously interacted with other wrestlers like he doesn't necessarily respect people immediately um he's almost got that like john moxley john moxley-esque bushido where you know he earns respect for people uh in the ring and by the way they interact with him and the way they prove their integrity and their authenticity in combat with him and he wasn't you know, he wasn't flattered by Punk wanting, by saying, when I was a kid, my my favorite wrestler would have been Darby Allen if I was a kid uh, right now. He was very much like, I'm going to beat this man. Uh, and and it's a great, it was good for the buildup that that was how it was because that was 
it was both authentic to Darby Allen as a character, but also authentic to the promotion itself um, that, you know, Sam Punk was coming in, but he wasn't, he was coming in to the promotion where wins and losses would matter uh, and where you would have to face stars. And, you know, even though he was coming back to much acclaim, he wasn't being given a gimme. I really liked this pairing. I thought it was a really good pairing um, to, to give Punk something that felt like a spotlight and an attraction match when he was returning, but was still very much authentic to the company and the characters that we knew that were in it. I, I want to get stuck into the match hanger. Is there anything yeah. else you'd like to cover about the build before we get into the match? Yeah. CM Punk hadn't wrestled for seven years, right? Mm. And um, I remember for the longest time just being worried about, like, can he still wrestle? You know, I, in, my, <laughs> in my lifetime as a fan, I don't think I've seen a wrestler just go back to wrestling after that long of a hiatus like that I could remember off the top of my head. Mm. And so I was really just curious, like, how does that work? You know, I'm not a wrestler, so I can't speak to it. But I remember thinking to him, I'm like, is he just going, is he practicing matches in a gym somewhere? Is he like refiguring it out? Like, how's that going to work? Does he know how to do this? Mm. Um, and uh, I remember I actually asked, because he used to do this thing called hashtag ask punk on Twitter and he would answer questions. And I remember he always ignored mine uh, at the time because because mine was very specific. And I, I figured out why later on why he ignored it is because um he, he's on record saying he doesn't like explaining how the sauce is made. He doesn't like explaining the behind the scenes details on like, um, you know, how he puts together his work, um, which is his artistic choice that he's entitled to. And I, I respect it. But I remember I used to always ask him, like, uh, do you still know how to wrestle? How does that work? Are you training to wrestle? Like, how are you going about? figuring out how to do this again and, and are you going to put the match together with heavily laid out spots or are you going to just call in the ring? Like, how does that work? And, you know, he was just like, I'm not answering this guy's questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so again, like I remember just being so nervous. Like, like I was so happy that punk was back going into this match. It was actually extreme trepidation that I was feeling because this was the moment where we we're going to find out, like, is this guy actually worth the money though? Mm-hmm. You know, cause it, it's great that punk's back and that's awesome. But we're in an era where like, so the majority of the people in the business are at least good workers. And in AEW, we're full of super workers and top to bottom, you have these pay-per-views with these, you know, four-star matches, you know, can punk keep up? Does he know how to do this? Does he still, can he do it at, at a high level? Because, you know, if this match bombed and he looked awful, it would have, it would have ruined the rest of the summer, yeah. you know? So before we even get into the match, I just wanted to kind of point that out. Like, I think it's really important to point out that nobody knew for sure how Punk was going to come off and how he was going to look in this match. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that was, I guess that was the the question mark that was hanging over it is, you know, can this, can this guy still go? And there has been a few layoffs, like really high profile ones. I think Shawn Michaels is the most famous, uh, yeah. you know, that was six years, uh, five years, six years, I'm going to say. Chris Jericho had two years off um, at one point. And, and Shawn Michaels came back like he'd never missed a beat. But, you know, this yeah. is a guy that people very realistically argue is the greatest wrestler all time uh, in and, ring. And, and, even, and be, even beyond that, Sam, like, yeah. that's the thing about that. Even with Sean, yeah, Sean is probably one of the most, the, the most high profile layoff prior mm-hmm. to punk. But even with that, right. It's like, yeah, he was gone for a while, but the, it was four years rather than seven. Mm-hmm. And there's the age factor, you know, Sean Michaels came back at 37 years old. TM Punk yeah. was coming back at 40, 43 years yep. old, I believe. 
So, mm. you know, it, it, it's, that's the thing, you know, yeah. the, the, those, those, those years matter when, when you start getting, you know, when you start pushing 40 and you, you cross 40, mm. every year makes a, a notable difference, you mm. know? So, yes. Well, let's look, let's get into the match and let's talk yeah, let's about what it. happened when the bell rung. Um, of yeah. course, there was two video packages, one about Punk's return and then one with Darby, his trademark black and white style home movies um, where he puts a man in a body bag, spray paints with the word best in the world, and then hoists it up on a helicopter flying over a lake. And then he jumps out of the helicopter. Kind of doesn't make a lot of sense, but it doesn't really have to. It's just a vibe um, with these videos, I think. Um, Darby's out first and, you know, he he gets a good reception, but followed by Punk, who, of course, gets a hero's welcome. Um, comes out in tights, uh, not the trunks that he used <laughs> to use in most famously yeah. in WWE or, you know, the the shorts that he used in Ring of Honor. What do you think of Punk's long boys, Hanger? It took me an extremely long time to accept the long boys. Um, I remember he actually tweeted about it, like I think a day or two prior to the show where he was just kind of like, like, like tights are long boys or whatever he said, or trunks are long boys. And uh, when he came out and it, I actually no remember- No one being, said long boys. <laughs> and, and I remember being like, what? What is this gear? I hate this gear. And and for the longest, I I, I hated it. Really random thing. So I, I, uh, I'm i one of these maniacs that hyper fixates on the minutia of wrestling gear and, and wrestlers looks, right? Mm. Like I can tell you, Every minor adjustment to John Moxie visually throughout his entire AEW run. And I think it comes from the fact that I'm a designer and an artist. So, like, I really just yep. pay attention to these things. And so I remember, like, Punk, when he did this match, right, it was one of the it was it was the only time in AEW where he was clean shaven. And uh, I remember he just thought he just looked kind of weird to me. And then the next time he wore the long boys was against Daniel Garcia. And and it was on Rampage. And he actually had a beard. Right. And I remember thinking, like, long boys, beard, taped fists. And in my head, I just got Terry Funk. And then it just made the whole thing cool mm-hmm. to me. I was like, okay, no, this is awesome. He's like an old, he's a grizzled old man. And so that's awesome. And, and from that point onward, I just kind of liked the long boys. Cause I just, in my, in my brain, he was Terry Funk. Um, but f- for first reaction, uh, it was jarring and I wasn't used to it. And I didn't get used to it over the course of the match. And I was just like, I never want to see this gear ever again. Yeah, look, I honestly, I felt the same. And I only recently accepted the long boys at All Out yeah. this year when he came out and they were white. I thought they looked great. Never, yeah. I'll never like the black long boys, I don't think. <laughs> Who knows if we'll ever yeah. see them again. The, the best gear he's ever worn in AEW, in my opinion, are, are the, the shorter shorts that he had yes. in City Kingston. Yes, 100%. The boxing shorts. Yeah. Yep, 100%. Um, I agree with you there. Uh, anyway, these two, they face off in the ring. Darby sort of sitting his in his corner. Punk sits down cross-legged. Uh, the crowd, you know, they're all into it. They're at a fever pitch at this point. They're chanting, holy shit, before their bell even yes. rings. Um, the pair circle each other. They lock up. And Darby quickly downs Punk with an arm drag. We, we sort of kind of said, you know, what did we expect here? What what did we think would happen? Uh, and the answer was a Bret Hart tribute. <laughs> this was yeah. one of the, yeah. the many tributes that this match has to the 1994 Bret Hart versus 123 Kid match. What yep. did you think of them taking such direct inspiration from that match? Of course, there's there's that. There's Alan holding a hammerlock through a number of reversals after a snap, yeah. after a snapmare. There's Alan getting a close pinfall reversal of a superplex attempt, uh, and then there's Alan hitting a, a senton to the outside. What, what did you think of them using such direct, in, taking such direct inspiration from that match? 
at the time I, I absolutely loved it and I thought it was really refreshing. Um, I think I think AEW, one of the biggest strengths of its product is that there's so much variety in the styles of wrestling that they provide. And that wasn't always the case. I, I felt like when AEW started, um, it was very just in its DNA, it was very PWG centric for the most part. Um, in, in just the style and the atmosphere and the general tone of the product um, outside of maybe like the, the work of Cody Rhodes. Mm. And um, I remember thinking like AEW is a little deficient in technical wrestling. They're deficient in big, big men. Um, and, and I could use some more, you know, old school Southern influenced pro wrestling in general, like that to, to my taste. I remember just thinking that at the time. Right. And within the next two years, they, they made so many strides in, in, in just balancing their roster with different representations of other types of wrestling. And, 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 and you know, with FTR and some other guys, they, they kind of brought in some of that more old school. And, and, and when, when you asked me about Brett, I, I remember thinking like, what is Punk's approach going to be to wrestling? Cause he's not a, he's not a, a, a super athlete. You know, yeah. Punk would tell you he never was a super athlete. He was never a freak athlete who can blow your mind with, with what he was doing physically. You know, he, he had a great wrestling brain. He was a tremendous storyteller, right? And so I remember wondering, like, what does punk look like in this modern world where so many people are, 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 their primary goal is to blow your mind with what they can do physically. And I remember thinking like, oh man, I, it would be kind of cringe if he's like, he tried to appease fans by just doing poison ranas and, mm. you know, 450 splashes. It would look really awkward if he did it. And, and so it was really interesting to me that he stayed true to himself and his physical skill set. And he just stuck to the wrestling that he knows and understands. I think that's, I think that's really important sometimes is understanding your game. You know, Darby Allen understands his game. You know, Darby Allen does what works for him. And that's why he's a really good wrestler. Kenny Omega is a blowaway athlete. Who's, who, who's just a monster. Right. And so him wrestling like Kenny, Kenny Omega wrestling like himself works for him because of his transcendent physical abilities. Right. Mm. But that doesn't mean that any wrestler can just copy what he does and, and be exactly as good as him. God knows some, some have tried. <laughs> many have tried. And it just doesn't it just it doesn't work that way. That's not how wrestling works. It's why Will Osprey is is really, really good, but his clones are not. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it you have to stick to what you know. You have to stick to your game. And I'm not saying take and don't take inspiration, but I think a, a key to being a great wrestler sometimes is working to what your strengths are. Mm-hmm. And so CM Punk deciding, you know, I love Bret Hart. This is the wrestling that I understand. It's the wrestling that I grew up with. It's the wrestling that I can, you know, take inspiration to create something really effective here uh, was, was, was a really refreshing choice. I remember watching it. I noticed immediately because I'm a nerd. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm like, this is a one, two, three kid uh, Bret Hart match from Raw. And then I was like, that makes a lot of sense. You know, Darby is the young up and comer. He's going to, he's not going to go over in this match, but he's going to prove that he's really formidable. And Punk is going to be the veteran who's going to try to ground him and control the matchup. And Darby's going to have these bursts where he breaks away from that and, and, and really, really show, you know, has, has genuine opportunities to win this. And ultimately Punk's going to, going to come out victorious. And, and I just thought it was very smart and thoughtful and uh, refreshing again, because stylistically, um, you know, by this point in AEW, yeah, you got Lucha. Yeah, you got, you know, high, high spot oriented frenetic wrestling. You got New Japan style main events and things like that. Um, but there was there wasn't much of uh, of that kind of wrestling of whatever you would even call Bret Hart wrestling. Mm. And so to get it from the product and to get it from one of the biggest stars was, was refreshing. It was cool. I thought I thought another interesting thing about it was 
um, I, I felt last year that there was a social media renaissance for Bret Hart and in, in, in that there was an extra wave of people who were aware of his, his ability and aware of what he provided to wrestling. And, and uh, I think, I think what, what helped that was people like FTR and CM Punk who not only just revere him publicly, um, they take direct spiritual influ- uh, influence uh, in his work and, and implement it into theirs. And, you know, some people will argue, oh, it's cosplaying, it's this and that. I think that the way that these guys apply it to their work is very effective in a way that just enhances what they do. You know, I never think that CM Punk is trying to be Bret Hart. Mm-hmm. I just think CM Punk is trying to apply what works for Bret Hart for his matches. Mm-hmm. And so I, I thought it was cool. Yeah, and it, it, it creates a really good narrative that fits where both of they these guys' strengths are. And particularly at this point, you know, you've got – Darby Allen, he is quick. He is fast. Um, he's probably the him and him and Phoenix. I think would probably be like the quickest wrestlers in AEW, uh, in terms of just their movement between the ropes. Uh, and it, it lets Punk use, I guess, like a little bit more of his technical wrestling uh, and his strength to be, you know, within the the confines of kayfabe to be the things that can he can lean on for for leverage in the match. Uh, and I think this match is really well structured for Punk returning as well. Um, like there's, <clears throat> I've watched it um, two or three times now in the lead up to this, um, and I noticed there's like constant twenty to thirty second breaks breaks where punk can sort of catch his breath because they do say that it doesn't matter how many how many kilometers you run like nothing matches in-ring cardio uh and and they're constantly giving punk a, a break to catch his breath um which is a good thing it's just, it's a good structure for the match and the crowd can carry it even even with these little breaks uh and and darby is the one that's doing the majority of the moving um you know he lets he's kind of letting punk hit his moves um, and be the one that he wants to cheer, but he's the one that's sort of, I guess, carrying the movement of the match and carrying the the majority of the what's going on and what's happening in the ring in the match. It, it actually reminds me a bit of how John Cena works with The Rock at WrestleMania 28, um, which is an interesting comparison for Darby Allen to be John yeah. Cena and, and even <laughs> more interesting for, in this case, Sam Punk to be The Rock. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's just funny to think about. Uh, uh, one of the other things that I noticed as, as this match was progressing was just, uh, you know, Punk Punk told Renee Paquette on, on her podcast right before his match that, uh, you know, she was like, what was your preparation? And he said, all I did was cardio. He didn't work mm-hmm. out. He didn't practice the match. He didn't, you know, do that type of stuff. And uh, I think it speaks to, again, wrestling, how you understand wrestling, mm-hmm. you know, however you understand the business, because wrestling is so broad. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be one thing, right? You know, he could have he could have easily said, let me study a bunch of, you know, PWG and New Japan and catch up and, you know, do it the way these kids do it. Um, but, you know, one of the most old school things there is in wrestling is to just feel the audience, feel the crowd, call it in the ring and just work your way through it, you know. And um, I think there's something artistic about that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think there's something artistic about not that there's anything wrong with laying out a match spot for spot because mm-hmm. that can that can result in some of the most creative and complex sequences we've ever seen. But at the same time, I think there is something kind of artistic about we're out there. We're going to let this moment happen organically and we're going to figure out our way through this match Mm. um, and and the ebbs and flows of it naturally in in the space of whatever time we have and and, and go from there. And and so it's almost fitting that for punk, his mindset, you know, he's, he's so old school that he's like, no, I'm just going to call it in the ring. And he, he kept describing it as riding a bike. Mm-hmm. In all his interviews, they're like, well, how's, how's wrestling going to be? Is, are you are you getting your rhythm back? And he's like, this is riding a bike. You just you just keep doing it and you just remember. And and that's when I learned that, you know, 
once you learn how to wrestle, you don't really forget how to wrestle. It's like muscle memory, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that was clear when, when Punk was going to doing his early mat exchanges with Darby Allen. It's just kind of like, you just kind of go through it and you, you, you feel your way through the match. And so I just thought that was fascinating. And, and, and you know. Yeah, when I, when I make that comparison as well, I'm not saying that he didn't hold up his end of the bargain. He's, yeah. you know, he, he's huffing and puffing a bit, but he never misses yeah. a beat. Never no. misses a beat in this match. And, and Darby Allen as well. He, of course, it's it's this is CM Punk's match. It's 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 structured around him. But Darby Allen does get a, a few, you know, really great moments to get in his offense and get what he does. One part I, I love. It's sort of mid about halfway through the match. Darby Allen just starts like swinging wildly with these giant slaps um, and manages to to outspeed and out wrestle Punk for for just a moment uh, and gets a, a number of really close pins, including one really close one off a of code red. Did did you ever think Darby Allen might potentially win this match? No, absolutely yeah. not. No, no. Yeah, I, I have to agree. It was an interesting conversation in the lead up, but I don't think anyone, you know, this guy is a giant star and this is a company where wins and losses matter. It's mm. like it could have been an interesting story to like have him come back and, you know, maybe the old gunslinger needs to learn a new trick or two before he can, you know, work his way up. But I, I think they handled it best just giving him the win in this one. Yeah. Um, and, and the second half of the match after that, you know, after those moments with Darby Allen, it's kind of really structured around the GTS and, yeah, yeah. and the power that that has. Um, Punk hits it about midpoint and it knocks Darby all the way out of the ring for like a really close nine count. Um, yeah, I love that spot. Yeah. Uh, and there's two more great, like really great counter sequences to it where Darby rolls out of it uh, in one and then one where Punk dodges a coffin drop, picks Darby up, but Darby manages to roll Punk into a last supper pin. Uh, it It's a really great way to put over the move. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like this match, it's one of those matches that, yeah, it's not a, it's not a fireworks show. You know, but it's it's really well structured. It's like really it doesn't well. Doesn't need really, to be a fireworks yeah, show. Yeah, no, yeah. it's not. It, it's it's really it's just really well structured and just it almost feels like intelligent. You know, mm-hmm. um, and and not all wrestling you know has that much thought going into it, and mm-hmm. it doesn't have to in certain situations. But with this one, it very it felt very cerebral in, mm-hmm. in, in how it was put together, and 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 like you said, it was centered around the GTS and how he finally hit it and he. You know, he 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 wasn't able to get get him inside the mm-hmm. ring because Darby fell out and stuff, and uh, he finally was able to nail him, you know, craftily in the in the finish. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of thought. I remember when Darby went for the coffin drop, and Punk just simply sat up. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know what that reminds me of? Punk Punk uh, he he talks about it sometimes in interviews where he just thinks of moves that he's like, well, wouldn't a guy logically just do this to avoid a move? And um, I remember, I think it was. Uh, John Cena was doing his five moves of doom and he was about to give him the, the five knuckle shuffle at money in the bank 2011. And right before when John started doing his shoulder shimmy, Punk simply just moved and kicked him instead of letting him, <laughs> instead of just sitting there, letting John drop his fist on him. And it's one of those just common sense things of like, yeah, why wouldn't a guy just do that in a match? You know? So uh, yeah, really, really well thought out match, really cerebral, well worked. The crowd loved it. Mm. Um, th- there was a, a, 
there was a momentous feeling to the proceedings mm. in that, like you, you knew that you were watching something really pivotal and important. Mm. And, um, you know, there's probably 20, 25, 30 matches in AW history that are better than this technically. Yeah. Um, but, but at the same time, I still think this is one of the most important matches in the promotions history. Yeah. And so f- for that alone, um, it's unforgettable and it's important. Yeah. In terms of what it represents, one of the questions I've got later um, that we can get into now, and and it's kind of what you were leaning at there, is this match came in when we did the definitive match guide. For those who who listen who aren't as as don't know what the definitive match guide is, it's a you know a list that I I've now done twice, um, where each year. Uh, I get a number of people to vote on the the best AEW matches for that year uh, and that runs from double or nothing to double or nothing with the anniversary of the, like the establishment of the company. And in the volume, this one, it came in 17th, you know, ahead of matches like Hangman Adam Page versus Konosuke Takesha or Hikaru Shida versus Serena Deeb 2 or Pac versus Andrade, you know, like these, you know, really superly, super well-worked matches. But, you know, mm. this is... A, you know, did we overrate this match by putting it in? It is a very simple match, but it's a moment. It's what it represents yeah, for the company. Yeah, no, absolutely. This match, what makes this match great, and it didn't need to be any of those matches because of it. It, it is carried by the crowd and carried by the vibes and carried by you know the return of this generational wrestler. Sam, the way I see it, man, you know, and this is my philosophy of wrestling in general. Context matters, and sometimes mm. it's not just about you know. Yes, it's about what what happens between the four ropes, but it, but sometimes it's more than that, you know. And so, you know, historical significance, meaning, and all these things they absolutely factor in my mind when it comes to how I evaluate pro wrestling. And so, again, that's what I'm saying. Like, could could you make an argument that maybe I could probably find a, a, a random passing rampage match that you know was was better than this, you know, from a move standpoint or from a work standpoint. Um, but but it, it'll be a match that probably like no one remembers to the same degree. Yeah. And so that's why it's just like all these things, all these intangibles, they matter. And if they didn't, we wouldn't have the business that we have. Mm. And so I, I, I always stress to just kind of consider that. Mm. And, you know, again, you can consume wrestling any way you want. You know, if you want to say, well, this was a 3.75 star match. So, no, it's not better than this thing. You know, we, this mm. is not ranked the same way on cage match. And, you know, that, that, that. And, and you're entitled to feel that way. Hmm. But for and, me personally, for me personally, uh, I, I just don't. And so, hmm. yeah, and uh, uh, frankly, quite, quite honestly, there are matches from last year and this year that um, it's weird how this works. And maybe we should just adjust how we rate matches because of this. But hmm. there's matches last year and this year that I didn't rate five stars that I liked far more than matches that I actually hmm. did give five stars to. And, and it makes me kind of question sometimes. And then it's like, is that five-star match actually a five-star mm. match? Is the match that I liked more actually really this rating then? Like, mm. should I increase it? Um, and so, you know, applicable to that is this match here who where Dave gave it 3.75. I think I was around a four. It doesn't really matter. It's semantics. But the point is, I thought this was one of the most pivotal matches in AEW history and one of my favorite matches of last year because of what it represented. Yeah. And, and you know what? That's one of the reasons I created this whole project, the AEW Match Guide, which was the original kickoff for this was me just, I, I do feel unsatisfied with star rankings and with cage match. I think they yeah. reward a certain type of wrestling that Thank is you. not what is 
you know, necessarily the most important. Uh, and and I don't think, I think this match should be ahead of those other matches that I that I mentioned. You know, the main event of this pay-per-view, Kenny Omega versus Christian, uh, didn't even make the top 50. And it is clearly like a better quote-unquote match than this, mm-hmm. but it's not in the grand scheme of things. It no. wasn't. Uh, and, and, and this and, match, and, yeah. yeah, definitely should have been rated ahead of that. Um you know, of course, there's the on this card as well. You've got the Lucha Brothers versus the Young Bucks, yeah, which, I, yeah, yeah. which I think is like, you know, because that has the gravitas historically and yes. storyline wise yes. and all those other things, intangibles. Plus, it's an incredible, like from a, an aesthetic and athletic point of view, it's an incredible yeah. sort of blow away match. And, and I do think that that one is better than this. But, yes. you know, this didn't have to be um, Christian versus Kenny Omega to to be great. Uh, it was great because of everything that's around it and everything we've talked about. Um, yes. Yeah, just to sort of, I guess, put a bow on the match, the final sequence mm. is um, kind of goes with that larger narrative we're talking about with the GTS. Darby Allen kicks Punk out of the corner. Um, he's in the corner and kicks Punk away, leaps onto his shoulders for a poison runner, but... Punk manages to to catch that, stop that, bring Darby up for onto his shoulders, hit the GTS, and gets the ending. Bit of a victory for old school wrestling over modern wrestling, <laughs> just to yeah, just to finish yeah, yeah. it off. Yeah, and uh, you know, post match, Punk is pumped up. He holds up seven figures for the seven years he was off. Swears up a storm in the camera and mouths the turn <laughs> and swears a little bit more. Then Sting comes down, sort of shakes his hand, and then eventually. Darby pulls himself up and Punk shakes Darby hand, Darby's hand too. It's a, you know, just a great bow on the end of the match. Um, you know, the the ending fits the larger narrative and then, you know, the the final moment of respect sort of sets up Punk's character and is true to Darby Allen's character as well. Yeah, it was, it was all well done stuff. Mm, absolutely. Now, we've, we've kind of already talked about the sort of the legacy of the match itself, you know, where, where it's rated, is it, you know, what, what it takes to be, what, a, what is a great match even? But what yeah. I kind of wanted to ask, you know, like in light of everything that's happened this week that we talked about, you know, where does this match fall in the legacy of Sam Punk? Um, what does it mean for, for him and Darby Allen's career? Oh, my God. Uh, for both men, for different reasons, it's one of the most important matches of either guy's career. You know, mm. I think uh, it legitimizes Darby the fact that, a person on CM Punk's level wanted to work with him, you know, uh, for Punk, it was him telling the world that I, I still know how to do this and I'm just getting started. Mm. So it, it, it's, it's the most, it's one of the most important matches for the promotion and for both mm. men involved is, yeah. is the easiest way I can answer that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for, for Darby's character, just even the way they, they handled handled his character arc in the lead up to this. And then at the end, shaking Punk's hand at, it just he remained true to himself throughout that and and for me that was important for me to see that you know even though we've got this big star coming back it he still has to fit into the promotion um and he he will undoubtedly carve his own path forward uh and will undoubtedly change the promotion but the DNA of AEW is still what it was before this match um you know what what this company envisaged wrestling to be is still on a broader scale is still, you know, holding true, even with the return of such a, such a moment, such a generational star um, in CM Punk. And as of course, of course, we're now talking, you know, a year later, 
Um, All Out 2022 happened just last weekend. And I I want to ask you two things. You know, this may, we may never see CM Punk in an AEW ring again. Uh, It's no one knows at this stage, is he suspended or is he fired? Um, There's rumors that both may be true. Um, I've no doubt that Tony Khan hopes that he can get away with just suspending Punk. um, Of course. Just purely from a business perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, But we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But what I wanted to ask is, I guess, like for you, this run of a year, what, what is Punk's legacy in AEW, both from, you know, like an AEW perspective, but also from Punk's, but from a, a historic perspective of Punk's career? I thought CM Punk went to AEW and played his music his way. And mm-hmm. um, I think uh, he, he, he told, he showed the kids that, that, you know, hair metal is still cool. I think, <laughs> uh, I think he came in there and um, he didn't really acquiesce to, to what, or whatever trends were trendy, so to speak. Mm. And, 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 um, you know, and if, if you, to you again, use, to use a real world analogy to, to, to show, to show kids a completely different type of music and they don't poo poo it and they don't, you know, close their ears is, is actually a, a feat um, because that doesn't always work. He went to AEW, he played the music his way and, and he got it over and he told so many engaging stories, some mm. small ones, some large ones. It, it's insane because there's still so much he could have done. And maybe, you know, very well may eventually do if, if he gets that chance. Um, but even with what he accomplished, I, I thought it was like a, a beautiful story in that he was the guy who was the, the legacy superstar, the veteran who's figuring this thing out again. And, and at the same time, he was enjoying the... Um, the honeymoon period, so to speak. And he was doing it, having matches, you know, riding a bike, so to speak, just kind of figuring it out over. And then he started having, you know, major programs. And uh, I mean, the Eddie Kingston stuff was tremendous. Mm. You know, the MJF, I think MJF and CM Punk had the feud of the year in 2022 from the promo segments and just the narratives that were spun and the the, the correlations and just Mm. uh, made to his past. And, and how it all tied together, I thought it was it was, it was like gorgeous storytelling uh, mm. and, and the most compelling narrative stuff that some of the most compelling narrative stuff that AEW has ever done. Um, CM Punk, to me, he bolstered his legacy so much because I already had him very high. And I, I thought like this made him his, this run made him even more of a legendary figure in my mind uh, in mm. AEW because there was just so much that he provided. I think that he's a really unique performer in that AEW has so much talent, right? Um, but but you can argue that some skill sets that certain people provide can be maybe redundant to their product and that, uh, you know, some guys that you you look at them on paper and like, yeah, they're great. I um, mean, you ask, what do they provide to AEW? Okay, they're a super worker. And it's like AEW has like 25 of them. Yeah. Um, mm. And other people, oh, they provide this. They can do this. They can do that. Um, I think nobody quite, there's nobody that can approximate what CM Punk specifically provided to the product. I think mm. there's a couple guys that, that what they give AEW is so unique that Without them, it feels like a different show, you know, whether it's a Moxley or a Kenny Omega or Brian Danielson or, you know, um, MJF. There are certain guys that they're irreplaceable from that standpoint. They're just so unique. And CM Punk coming into AEW and giving us his Southern tinged, you know, Bret Hart loving wrestling. Uh, it was a treat. It, it, it was an absolute treat. Um, I'm very appreciative of this run because I never thought I was going to get it. 
Mm. And uh, I look back at it extremely positively because I thought that the work he did was sensational. And you could very easily argue that it's the best of his career, a career that's been extremely successful and extremely, mm. uh, extremely good overall. So, you know, for him to come back and ha- tell the stories that he did, cut mm. the promos that he did, um, it was it was magical, man. It was magical. And, and for a period there, it felt like everything was right in the world of AEW. It felt like everything was right in, in, in the wrestling world as a result. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I look back at it. I reflect on it. And, and I, I have nothing but positive things to say about his run, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Look, from, a, from an in-ring standpoint, I couldn't agree more with you. You know, the stuff with I, I reflect on the stuff with Eddie, the stuff with MJF, the most recent stuff with John Moxley. It just oh, yeah. we're just blow away successful in, in terms of my emotional investment in them uh, and yes. the way they paid off both you know the stories that both of those told that paid off were absolutely fantastic I wouldn't have changed anything about any of them um mm-hmm. maybe giving the John Moxley one like a couple more weeks would have been ideal but obviously sure. with injuries and things like that it, it didn't it couldn't work out that way but yeah, from an in-ring standpoint, which is ultimately like what we're here for is, mm. and that's the sad thing about the way he's departed is it's everything that's not in-ring, which is really sad. And, mm. you know, it was really sad when he left the WWE in 2014. And if this is the last time we see him in AEW, you know, I'll, I will be disappointed, um, even though, you know, I think he's the way he left the company was not great at all. Um, and, and he bears a lot of responsibility for that. Um, but yeah, from an in-ring standpoint, absolutely phenomenal. Um, this it's an, it's been a really incredible and really enjoyable run. Hangers, I I I think we've covered just about everything we need to cover there. Is there anything else you'd like to add? And if not, let the people know where they can reach you. Not much else to say, really. But I do thank you for having me. I thought this was really, really nice. And uh, for anybody listening, just thank you for listening. And uh, you can find me at Backup Hangman on Twitter. So just follow me at Backup Hangman on Twitter. Uh, that's pretty much it. You can catch me on the Russell Pierce podcast. I appear there every week on Thursdays to review Dynamite. Uh, and besides that, I just uh, I just want to thank you, Sam, for, for giving me this, this platform to talk about one of my favorite wrestlers. Yeah, cheers. And look, thank you for coming on. I, I've Absolutely. really enjoyed this talk as well. And yeah. you know what? The good times roll on next week. Um, we've kicked mm-hmm. off the season talking about, you know, probably the biggest thing that happened that year um, in, in AEW um, with Sam Punk and where next week we'll be talking about one of the biggest things that happened in 2022 for AEW when we talk about Cody Rhodes' last match in AEW, Cody Rhodes versus Semi Guevara, the latter match um, from Dynamite. So make sure you join me then if you're listening. And if you have enjoyed the show, you can subscribe uh, or you can like it on your podcast app of choice. Um, hit, hit a review if you could. That would be much appreciated. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter at Sir underscore Samuel. And thank you for joining me, Hangers. It's been fantastic. I'm glad we finally got to do this. And thank you for listening. And I cannot wait to see you all again next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the AEW Match Guide podcast. If you enjoyed the show, then you can subscribe on the podcast app of your choice so you never miss an episode. Also, feel free to let me know on Twitter at Sir underscore Samuel. I'd love to hear from you. The AEW Match Guide podcast is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. 
where you can find many other fantastic podcasts discussing not just AEW, but all parts of the world of professional wrestling. Looking forward to seeing you again next week. I'm Sam Brown.